Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us on Labor Day. Good morning, guys, of course. Good morning, guys. So, sorry, I'm in my tennis attire. Okay, for the first question. At the Federal Reserve's annual conference two weeks ago, Fed Chair Jerome Powell signaled interest rates will rise and could, could stay high and could rise further should the economy and inflation fail to cool. Last week, the Fed's preferred measure of underlying inflation posted the smallest back-to-back -back increases since late 2020. The core personal consumption expenditures price index rose 0.2% in July. And then on Friday, the jobs report saw jobs created, more jobs created than expected, but also an increase in the unemployment rate. All these combined have led more market participants to believe the economy can revert a re recession. But even if there isn't a rate hike, Rates could stay high for a while. However, there's a growing sentiment that the Fed may be slower to cut rates than many people expect. The question is, can the stock market rally without interest rates coming down? Yeah, look, I, I think that, again, the markets have done incredibly well, uh, given where the rate structure is right now. Uh, you know, we went from a zero rate world, again, for f 15 years uh, to finally a positive rate structure. And I, I think that that heavy lifting and that was done by the markets is not respected enough. And I think that, uh, you know, rates probably topped out at four and a half on the 10 year, you know, is it going to get to five? I don't think so. And I think that, you know, the markets have seen the bulk of their gains for the year when the S and P 500 was up around 20%, uh, you know, seasonally the pullback, uh, happened a little bit in, in, in August, uh, September should be a little bit choppy as well. You would think, um, but I think that uh, you're going to have a good year considering if rates stay, you know, at the 10-year Treasury today, right around 4.17, 4.2, probably go up to the higher end of the range. Uh, but I, I can't see it going north of 4.5% at this juncture, despite uh, the Fed still jawboning. You know, look, they wanted to learn the – they wanted to not repeat the mistakes of the 1970s when policymakers raise rates to cut inflation down. And then to have inflation come back uh, dramatically, right, late 70s, early 80s, uh, and have double digit rate structures. And the rate hikes are working. I mean, it is slowing down parts of the economy. We see that. Um, and the economy can withstand higher rates for the right reasons, uh, as can the markets right now. And I don't think that 4.5%, even 5% on a 10-year Treasury uh, makes uh, interest rates too high for the stock markets to perform. We've had that for over 100 years, an average of 4 to 5% on the 10-year note. And the markets in that time returned to a historical average of high 9%. So not an issue. What's really interesting, and you and I kind of went back and forth on this in one of the asset allocation meetings, is that the we need to be in a scenario where the Fed cuts rates solely due to inflation um, for rates to come down. The Fed in this century, going back to 2000, has not cut interest rates barring any level of economic slowdown. It's always been due to a slowdown. So if the Fed cuts rates solely because of inflation, then you're okay. But if the Fed cuts rates because they see a deteriorating rate of growth and weakness in the underlying economy, that's a problem. The market's going to have a hard time sustaining that. Yeah, you're not going to see the Fed cut interest rates anytime soon. They're still jawboning it higher. Yep. Okay. Well, to follow up on that first question, in the wake of the huge drop in Treasury bond prices, which led to three bank failures earlier this year, the Fed is demanding that regional banks with assets between $100 billion and $250 billion, such as, such as Citizens Financial Group, Fifth 
Third Bancor and M&T Bancor shore up their liquidity planning, lenders' capital, and compliance according to people with knowledge of the matter. The biggest concern is the time frame for resolving these issues. If there aren't resolutions, there could be enforcement actions. Is this a serious problem for the economy? It's definitely an issue to be concerned about for the underlying economy, and it shouldn't really surprise anybody that this is actually coming to the forefront of this particular news cycle, because months ago, we talked about the fact that the FDIC fund had been significantly depleted, bailing out the three banks that failed, and there's really not that much money remaining in the coffers to bail out another significantly large regional bank. So... The problem that is underlying behind the root of all of this is that as banks have to use their own liquidity to shore up their balance sheets, it's going to cause bank lending to actually pull back. And you have two different variables associated with this. One is that really high interest rates could curtail demand for bank lending. And two, on top of that, banks have to shore up their balance sheets once again due to all these Fed mandates and the fact that the FDIC fund still has to be replenished from this level. So that means that there's probably going to be less lending throughout the economy. And lending, and in particular bank lending, is like oil and the liquidity that makes an engine move when it pertains to the U.S. economy. So as more little fees are tacked onto the banks to replenish their own balance sheets and or replenish the FDIC fund, there is a high potential that you're going to see less interbank and bank lending hitting the economy, which means less liquidity, which most likely means more economic growth slowing on the margin. And hey, look, look, you don't have to look further than mortgage rates too, right? With rates at this high, um, you know, and again, historically, I know that a seven or eight percent, you know, mortgage is not that bad. But when you look at what it's done on the short term, when people are used to, you know, two, three percent mortgages, that also slows down the economy in a market that, you know, there's a very low demand, right? Uh, sorry, uh, low supply uh, of inventory. And that will also further slow down things. So I think you're absolutely right on that answer. And how is the FDIC replenished? The FDIC is replenished by assessing fees on banks. Every single year, banks have to um, kick back a little bit of a percentage of their deposits. It's, it, it's deposit-based back to the FDIC fund to actually replenish this reserve fund. So unless there's a one-time special assessment on it, it's going to take quite some time to replenish the FDIC fund because I think we, oh God, I can't remember the number, $70, $80 billion to bail out those few banks. I think it, it really took it down considerably. Yeah, almost yeah. $100 billion. Wow, that's a lot. Okay, so we really can't have another bank failure. It's basically what would happen if we had a bank failure. If we had another bank failure, you're more than likely to see, I mean, there's still some remaining money in the FDIC fund. You really don't want to see the U.S. Treasury actually step in because that actually looks like a particular bailout. The way that they've orchestrated them in the past, it hasn't necessarily been a bailout. But you know, if you're a larger bank, you're going to wait for these banks to fail before you actually step in, provide liquidity and buy them because the FDIC has shown that they, and the government has shown that they will continuously back all the deposits and backstop the losses. So you're not going to absorb another bank without knowing that that guarantee is sort of back there. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, thanks guys. That was great. And if you'd like to submit a question, send it to our email address, which is question at twoquestiontuesday.com. And we'll be back next week.